Welcome to the Celebration Church Tri-Cities Podcast. We are so grateful that you have chosen to spend part of your day with us. We are praying that God speaks to you through this message from our pastor, Robert Russell. For more information about our church, visit cctri.org. Enjoy the message. Good evening, Celebration family. Um, Let's pray. Father, thank you so much that we are welcome in your house. And thank you so much that you have a design, a plan, and a purpose for everybody here tonight. I pray, Lord, that as we unpack what that means tonight, you will restore any sense of lost value that anyone in this room may be struggling with. And I pray that you will plant new vision and new calling tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. So this is, an, uh, this is a strange month, have you noticed? <laughs> it's different. Because for the month of January and February, we are beginning again. You've seen the banners in the lobby. You've seen p- people walking around in tree shirts. Hannah, this is your moment. These tree shirts, t-shirts, tree shirt, t-shirts. Turn around, because we're representing as well the Celebrations logo, okay? Uh, This is not the official announcement for it, but this is kind of the explanation that you've seen people talking about beginning again. And because so many people are new at Celebration and also people have been away for a long time and are coming back, the leadership thought it a good idea to take the entire church through what was previously called Discovery Class. So last week, Pastor Robert took you through our beliefs, so that you know what we as a church believe. And I typically teach the next class called, called person, the personality class. So welcome in personality class, everybody. Um, nobody told you that you enrolled for this particular class, but you did by walking in the door this evening. You are in personality class, and we are going to explore your God-given, purposeful, beautiful, not just intelligent, but brilliant design And this I get from Ephesians 1, verse 11 to 12. Um, Let's see. There it is. Thank you, Rylan. It is in Christ that we find out who we are and what we are living for. Long before we first heard of Christ and got our hopes up, and I have to pause there, did you also get your hope up when you heard of Christ? I hope so. He had, he had his eye on us, even before that, had designs on us for glorious living, part of the overall plan he's working out in everyone and everything. I need help, Rylan. I am not having success. Okay. Here we go. So what it says here is that God planned each one of us as individuals, but also the overall plan for the whole universe that we are a part of. That's Ephesians 1, 11 to 12. Are you in control? When your own teenage daughter is in control, it means God is working on your sanctification. All right. So I'm done with the slide. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, God's design in creation 
is what tonight is about. Now, if you look at those designs on the screen, they're all designed by God. They're all 100% natural and organic. And yet one of them is a little off. Can you tell what isn't exactly the way God made it? Yeah, that apple was made like that by a person. That's not the way the apple came. What will be our signal for you to, to move on? Right, to like next or something. Uh, now go back, please. <clears throat> All right, this is going to go really well. We as people also are often misformed by others. And it usually depends on the design of those others. Because depending on who your parents were, you were either often told, why are you so slow? Or you were told, why are you in such a hurry all the time? Or you were told, why can't you speak up? Or you were told, can you ever be quiet? So you, as let's say the metaphoric apple, has been chopped up many times and reassembled to look the way people around you want you to look. And then you are still made in the image of God, but you are contorted a little bit. So we want you to be like one of those, like one of those designs that are exactly as they should be designed for their purpose and not messed with for the sake of other people's preference. Now, all of God's designs have certain characteristics, you included. They're all designed for a purpose. I mean, that leaf is flat and it's green because it needs a big surface area and it has chlorophyll so that it can perform its duty. But then immediately there's diversity because no two leaves are exactly the same. And trees bear such a variety of different trees. So diversity always happens, but there is still order. And you know that because if you find a leaf of a tree and you know trees well and it's just blowing down the street, you can pick it up and you know, oh, this is from an oak tree. It's predictable. There's some sense of order there. And it's the same with people. If I know your design, I know whether you're going to like me showing up on your porch on a Sunday afternoon at 4 p.m. as a surprise or not at all. Because there's order to your design when I know your personality. You are also a revelation, as is everything in creation. We know that from Romans 1. You are also really a, a glorious reflection of a certain part of God. Some of you can reflect characteristics of God that I cannot. He is too wonderful to show us everything about himself in one human being except Christ. He showed all of himself in the face of Jesus, but you and I are not that great. We just get some part of him to reflect to the world. We also only come to our purpose in relationship. No individual will ever grow, make a real difference, or glorify God unless it is in relation to others. Think of the, think of the fruit of the Spirit, love, loving whom? Joy, joyful towards what? Patient with whom? It's all relational fruit. So the, our purpose becomes clear and our design becomes relevant in relationship. But even in those relationships, it's God's desire that the uniqueness is retained. And that's what we will explore today a little bit more. Um, 
Can you raise your hand if you see a blue and black dress? Okay, now people around you can just look. Here are the blue and black. I also see blue and black, so just really high. This is class, so it's okay, you can raise your hand. Okay, who sees a golden and white dress? Okay, blue and black people, look at these people who can't open their spiritual eyes. Look at the people in the flesh who can't see it our way. We don't know what's wrong with them. This is going to bother you long after this service is over. You can go Google this on the internet. The point is, our eyes aren't even the same. The way we perceive color and shape when they're put together isn't even the same. This is the first time I've seen about a 50-50 split. Usually, the people who can see the truth, which is black and blue, are usually in the majority, but I'm a little bothered by today's survey. We are that different, and there are many ways to talk about these differences, and you may have done all sorts of profiles um, throughout your life to kind of pinpoint you and decide who you are. Or maybe you are one of the people who says, there's no way I'm completing a thing like that. I defy definition. So if you're that person who goes, I'm not completing a profile, it's okay, you're going to save the church $5 because we don't need to do your profile. I already know what it is. Because there are certain personalities who don't like profiles. It is pretty predictable. I'm just kidding. I don't know who you are. But we are either resistant to being defined or we're interested. We feel we are uncomplicated or we feel we are beyond definition, even that speaks to our personality. Now, when I first encountered personality profiles, it was when I was in a personality clash with my own first daughter. We are exact opposites. And in order to rebuild that relationship, my therapist, because I took her to a therapist, I thought she was the problem, the therapist disagreed. So she became my therapist instead of my daughter's therapist. So she said, you need to go study personality types. And so I studied personality types in order to get along with my really, really sweet daughter, who was the opposite of what I was. And I didn't like the labels. I didn't like being called melancholy or phlegmatic. Those are bodily fluids. You know, phlegmatic is phlegm. So who wants to be named after a sticky, yucky bodily fluid? It was just not very complimentary. But as I studied it, I, I found that I really agreed with so much of what I learned, but wanted to give it a life-giving name. So I called it trees, because trees are unique too. Trees are able to grow. They look different in different seasons, and I think people do too. And these were the labels I came up with that I hope doesn't limit anybody. But if you see a pine tree, that's one personality type. If you see them in nature, what would come to mind for you? Sorry, I jumped the gun there. If you're a pine tree, what would you, if you see pine trees, what would you think or experience? Peace. Yeah, if you, if you walk into a pine tree forest and you inhale that fragrance, there's this calm that comes over you. The needles fall on the forest floor and they absorb all the sound and it becomes quiet. Can you see pine wood from where you sit right now, anywhere? Maybe a little bit here on the stage. But in reality, there's pine in the holding roof up. There's pine supporting the floor. There's pine in the walls. 
Pine tree people are exactly like this. They are peaceful peacemakers. They are quiet and they don't put themselves up front, but they hold everything up because they are the ones who serve, who support, who don't need seven thank yous, but who are essential and God makes more of them than of any other personality type. Otherwise, we would have been at World War X by now. World War 99, not necessary. So they are the quiet, peaceful people. I also think of Christmas when I see a, palm, a pine tree. And I think of the family getting together around that. And that's what pine trees also do. They like everybody to be together. They will get over the differences just so that we can eat a meal together. They don't need to sort everything out and talk about everything. They, they'll just try and gather as many people as they can. So that's kind of a picture that I want you to hold in your mind. We're not going to dig very deep, but we're going to give you some sort of an idea. The second personality, also introverted by nature, is the boxwood. And we see that characteristic of the boxwood of being so perfectly pruned, so beautifully shaped. Yeah, not that one. Uh, let's just get the visual to align. There you go. And you can shape them in any shape you like. And these are the teachable people. These are the kids in class at school who say, teacher, how many pages must the assignment be? And then the teacher says five pages. They go, typed or handwritten? Teacher says typed. Double spacing or single spacing? Like, give me all the details and the more details I have, the better I can do. That, because I need to be shaped exactly the way you need me to be. And they kind of keep themselves in line and do the right thing. Now, boxwoods, are used, the wood is used to make chess pieces because the wood is almost plastic. You can turn it and make it exactly like you need it to. You can carve it like plastic, very moldable. But also think of the chess game when you think of a boxwood. They always think three moves ahead. Now, if I do this, then she may think that. And if she thinks that, then she may do that. And then, then I'm going to have to do that. Oh, no, I don't like that option. Let's try plan B and C. And then I'll just have a backup plan D, just in case the other plans go wrong. So it's a very planned and precise person. The palm tree. What do you associate with palms? Maybe the beach, maybe vacation time. It definitely doesn't, think, it doesn't make us think of winter. So this is the fun in the sun kind of personality that always sees the positive side and usually has to have the people with them. And everything that doesn't belong in our why is a kind of thing that they won't like, like budgets and deadlines and lots of rules and such. So that's the palm tree picture. Have you seen what palm trees do in a hurricane? Yeah, they bend all the way down to the curb and then they just bounce right back. Very resilient emotionally, these people. They, Louis says it's because they're forgetful. They just forget that bad things happened and they can move on quickly. I think there's some truth to it. Um, the last one is the rose bush. And the rose has two parts that are very prominent. The roses, of course, but then also the thorns. So this is a personality that's both really productive, putting stuff out there, getting things done, and being a little prickly, hence the thorns. I think if they had a theme song, it would be I Did It My Way, that Frank Sinatra song. 
and also the winner takes it all, the ABBA song, <laughs> where they don't mind rubbing the loser's nose in it. So kind of a little bit of that personality going on. Now, most of us are combinations of these. So again, it's not a box that you have to fit in. Most of you would be two, and about 15% of you would be three. I am a combination of boxwood, palm tree, and rosebush. That means that on a, on a day when I really need to get stuff done, I'll be driving like the rosebush, yelling at people who don't stick to the rules and really annoyed that the car cannot go faster. But then I'm also this boxwood lady in the bottom right that'll give you the eye if you don't do something right in traffic and I will teach you, I will, I will remind you of the rules and I will have all my gadgets and I will ha definitely have my map and I will know where I'm going and I will have my time planned. Or if I'm in my palm tree mode, I'll, I'll be in the mood to take somebody with me. Palm trees don't want to go out alone, they need company. And then there's the pine tree. Now that, I'm everything but pine. So I don't like being in the back seat, as you may have noticed with this little clicker. I don't like somebody else driving the car. That's hard for me because I'm not a pine. A pine tree doesn't need to be in control. So in everything we do, in every daily thing we do, if we don't think about it and if we are not intentional, our tree type will play a big part in how we behave. And this is when we are living from our natural design. So what does the Bible have to say about this situation? The Bible says, make a careful exploration of who you are. That's my emphasis, the you, by the way. And the work you have been given. Then sink yourself into that. Don't be impressed with yourself. Don't compare yourself with others. Each of you must take responsibility to do the creative best with your own life. So here is a very important warning to not try to be somebody else, but also to really figure out what is with this design? What is God intending with me? Where in the body of Christ do I fit? And this should remind you of that same script, of the scripture that talks about certain parts of the body saying, we don't need you. Just because they can't see the value of that part of the body. But this values everyone equally, and it's important for us to explore where we fit in the body because of our unique design. And when we know this unique design, we have options, and I see this all the time. Those of you who have attended, attended a tall trees class, you will know that you discover things about yourself. Maybe you read through the report, and then there are things about you that you discover that you don't necessarily like, and you feel inferior, or you listen to some of the other personalities' strengths, and you go, oh, but that is so useful in the kingdom. That is so useful in the body of Christ. Or, well, that would make my marriage easier if I were like that. Or, oh, I guess I would like being a mom more if I had those traits. So we do sometimes, just because we are human, kind of look sideways and feel inferior, or we may feel superior when we hear what the Achilles heel of another personality is. And this may have happened to you in the church, that you hear of somebody falling in a particular sin, maybe embezzling church funds, and you say, I cannot believe somebody would do that. That is 
unbelievably evil and such a horrible weakness to have, to be enticed by money. But that is that person's weakness, often informed in part by their personality. Yours is something entirely different. Maybe it's being judgmental. I don't know. <laughs> Could be. So we each have our own weakness. So before we feel superior when we hear what another personality struggles with, we need to keep the scripture in mind. There's also a temptation whenever we find out how personalities differ, that we want to be like somebody else and live somebody else's life. And again, I don't know if you remember that experiment in science class where there was a compass and somebody would take a magnet and rub the magnet over the compass needle. And after they've done that, it loses the magnetism that draws it to the North Pole. Have you, do you remember that? What happens to the needle? Can you recall? Yes. It spins aimlessly in circles. Now, this happens to us very often when strong personalities, like a strong magnet, come and rub over us and tell us, you're not supposed to be this way. Like, there's something wrong with you. Or, you can't possibly want to this or this or this. Or, it's ridiculous that you, that or that or that. That's a rub over your inborn direction that points to your true north that people can mess up. And then you end up living somebody else's life. I remember praying over a friend of mine as she was about to, to have her baby at, you know, at a very late-term baby shower. And I was, I was praying over her little belly, and I just prayed, Lord, will you please make Nika know her purpose and her calling early in her life? Amen. That was all I prayed, very simple. I opened up my eyes, and several women there then young, then, you know, much older than me, but the, the age I'm now, like 40s, 50s, had tears in their eyes. And I thought, what's with that? And the one lady looked at me, she said, I'm still looking for it. And part of why she was still looking for it became clear as I had a conversation with her. And it was because she was so different from everybody else in our home. Everybody in the house had one personality and she was the odd one out. And from the earliest days, she thought that there was just something wrong with her, and she was told as much. And so she was living somebody else's life, never understanding that she was different for a reason. This is not God's will for us. Now, Hannah made a brilliant video of people in our church who already know what three type they are. Um, they have done profiles, but also a workshop to dig a little deeper than we can today, but this is what they would like to share with you. Now, a quick reminder. Pine trees, peaceful. Palm trees, popular and positive. Boxwoods, perfect and organized. Rose bushes, I did it my way. Okay, here they are. Hi, Susan. Hi, Hannah. What is your tree type? I am a pine, almost 100% pine. I am a pine palm. Hey Russell, what is your personality type? I am a full-blown boxwood. 
I am a pine, 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 and a teeny bit palm. So this might be a surprise for those who know me, but I'm a rosebush pretty much through and through, except for socially I make hunter boxwood, which basically means I'm the opposite socially that I am in a work setting. I'm a box pine. It depends on the day for me. I'm a box rose. Hi Sandy! Hey Hannah, how are you? Good, what is your tree type? I am a palm pine. So I'm a contra boxwood, so I have a lot of pine and rose and some social palm. How has knowing that you're a rosebush helped you in your work life? It's helped me to make adjustments that I need to make in my personality and how I interact with other people. So primarily I'm a rosebush in a work context, so uh, I can be a little bit extreme sometimes. Um, I have to very actively police myself and um, no matter how much I want to lose my temper, you know, keep my cool and the Lord has done a lot uh, with me for, you know, managing that. So you are in leadership and usually rose bushes are the ones in leadership. So how does it affect your leadership style being the pine palm that you are? Obviously it takes me a while before I can come up with a plan or come up with a response. <laughs> um, but it's a challenge in that um, it's much easier for me to follow others. So we all have a lot of rosebush in us, so it's, um, we get a lot done. There's just sometimes some collateral damage. <laughs> what do you think the pros are to being a boxwood when working in the body of Christ? Uh, good organization. Um, we have, a, I think, overall a care outside of ourselves, so our care is for the other people. It's not really a people pleaser per se that we think of, but it's wanting to please people and serve people. What is one pro about your tree type? I can get stuff done very efficiently. How does being a palm pine, and mostly palm, uh, <laughs> affect your work life? I think being a palm is helpful in my work life because I work in the children's ministry and palms are pretty adaptable and we like to kind of go with the flow. We're all about the party, like my friend the camel here. I think one thing that I love about working with two other rose bushes is that we can work at fast speeds. I think it's hard for all of us to do stuff that is slow paced, so it's great to work with two other people who like to do stuff fast. Um, but there is also downsides. Uh, none of us are totally into the details. I think we all fake it to whatever extent that we need to to get by. It's crucial um, to know your temperament, um, especially your tree type, because that's a great way to, to explain temperament in, in common language. Everybody understands it. It's crucial in marriage because we, you know, we're so different as marriage partners. Um, Hedy's got high boxwood, I'm a contra boxwood, so uh, very often her forest fire is my fertilizer and, and, and vice versa. So um, she's high on, on detail and I don't really like detail, I'm not good at it. Um, she doesn't like surprises. I love surprising people. Uh, she has a sinful nature. I don't know. <laughs> Why do you think it's so important that God created so many different personality types? I think it takes all of us to make up the full body of Christ. He created us all differently. 
to fulfill different parts of the ministry to love each other in different ways and encourage each other in different ways and to to come together to make the full body of Christ. For a long time, I would just try to hide uh, my personality type and just different aspects of things that I didn't think other people liked or accepted. Um, but as I started going through tall, tall trees and learning what my personality type is, it honestly really changed my life because I realized that God created me the way that I am for a very specific purpose. Um, that He has a calling and destiny upon my life and He's given me the personality type that is needed in order to fulfill that. That just as God has given us spiritual gifts, He's also given us a personality type that is a gift and He um, has equipped us with that for a reason. And all personality types are created equal. Mine is not better than yours. Yours is not better than mine. Um, but I think it's so beautiful to see that every single person is different, but that we all come together with our personality types to create what is called the body of Christ. And without you being who you were created to be, our body is lacking. Usually when we do tall trees in a company, we do all the profiles and we put all the raw data together and then we get a profile of the company. And then we see they have hardly any boxwoods. And then we snigger and we go, we know what's going on here. Because we are always supposed to be a combination of all of these components that God created. And when we create a team and we leave off people with certain personalities, we all suffer. Because each see and can do things we may miss. Now, there is a temptation to use our personality as an excuse. Because note, in this whole division two, we talked about living from our natural self. How biblical is living from our natural self as a rule? Not very, not very. We know that our nature is flawed and we know that we have a sinful nature, except me, Louis, apparently. So um, <laughs> that's what he said in the video. So he doesn't have a sinful nature. That's the pine palms. They don't have a sinful nature. It's only the work and task-oriented people who do. What really is supposed to happen to us is that this part of us that is our personality that we can feel pretty precious about and entitled about. You notice things like Hannah saying, we, we like working fast. So a rosebush could easily look down on a more steady-paced pine or box pine and say, I don't work with those people. It's very easy to do that. So what if God gives Hannah some of those people that Hannah doesn't get along with? Why would he do that? Because I can tell you he does that. He also gives us our opposite as a spouse very, very often. Why is he doing that? He's trying to destroy us. <laughs> Just a part of us, but he is. He's trying to torture your flesh to death. Because that is really the message of the cross of Christ, isn't it? Is that our flesh is supposed to die. It doesn't die because you're making it comfortable. It dies because it can't get its own way repeatedly, time after time after time. 
So we don't explore our personalities so that we can go around and coach everybody to give us everything the way we want it and so that we can go around to our employer and go say, oh, see, this is how a Boxwood office needs to be. I'm going to need you to, to take me out of this booth and put me in a Boxwood-friendly environment. We don't get to do that. It helps us to understand what rubs us the wrong way and what energizes us and the strengths we have and so forth. But we are still all challenged to die to ourself. And a big part of ourself is this preference we have for how we want to work and who we want to work with and how we want things to be around us. So us keeping everything together the way we want it and also keeping ourselves together, and we each do it differently depending on our personality, is kind of one of our goals. And that is the thing that to truly live the Christian life needs to break. And that needs to be dealt with. Now, some of us have this idea that I am a spirit living in a soul with kind of a body wrapped around it. And that part in the middle, my spirit is the really beautiful part that is Jesus. Now, a person who is trying to keep it all together in how they appear and perform, looks a little bit like this. And if we encounter them, we can't find the spiritual part at all. We're so impressed maybe or put off by the exterior. We, after an hour with them, we don't know if they are saved. We don't know if they know the Lord. We don't know anything about them because they're so busy keeping the outside together. And this can be us too, permanently or in certain circumstances. But then we, we may have this viewpoint that as a Christian, the solution to that problem is we need to just do better spiritually. That means we need to flex our spiritual muscles, practice our spiritual disciplines, get better at praying, get better at fasting, get better at using our spiritual gifts, um, kind of become this, this star for, for the Lord, like really impressive. Because if, all, if we can just fix all these spiritual things and put more of that on display, then we'll, we'll be like this the celebrity Christian, the star. But note how that star, the outside, the body and the soul are still completely intact. Now that is not biblical. The Bible says that we are supposed to live in brokenness. And, and you may have attended most, I hope you did, of Robert's series last year about brokenness. If you didn't, please go back and listen to it. It was excellent. And it, it talked about the value of the outside breaking so that the spirit can leak out and become the first thing I experience when I meet you. I'm not supposed to notice your hair first or notice, notice your stature or something in your personality. And that's not what you're supposed to notice first when you encounter me. But I have found that most people who have their spirit on the outside, their love for the Lord on the outside, their, their gentleness or their faithfulness, their joy, those are the people who have been broken, who have come to the end of themselves, who aren't trying to keep it all together. And so we all are on a journey in which God is doing this with us and is helping us go through this journey. But the journeys do follow a pattern. Do you remember that slide where I talked about purpose and it has order? And I said it has predictability. 
there is a predictability about at least one or two episodes that each personality type will be taken through in their lives in order for their flesh to break so that their spirit can leak out. And we have biblical examples to teach us how this works. Paul warns us, he says, for it is not ourselves that we preach. So he's saying, he's saying, we are not about self-promotion. We are not trying to look good among you guys. We are not building our image here. We are not doing PR for us. He says, we preach Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as your servants for Christ's sake. The God who said, out of darkness, the light shall shine, is the same God who made his light shine in our hearts to bring us the knowledge of God's glory shining in the face of Jesus. So just to remind you of that graphic, who who was shining in that graphic? We, we're supposed to shine and, and be such a good advertisement for God. This scripture says, no, it's Jesus who's shining. He's the only shining one. And he can shine through us in this way. We who have this spiritual treasure, remember that's that green spot, (laughs) are like common clay pots in order to show that the supreme power belongs to God, not to us. And here is the process, and this is really what happens. How do we become people who don't promote ourselves, but actively promote Jesus? How do we become people who don't shine for our own shine? but become people who shine for Christ, no matter what our personality. How does that happen? He says here, we are often troubled. So we will be often troubled so that spirit can leak out. When people see that we are not crushed. I think of beautiful Miss Peggy losing her husband, Mr. Trent, And not a little bit of her palm tree joy is annihilated by that. She shines for Jesus exactly the way she always did. Because she's not trying to keep it together. It's all just leaking out. It's from the Holy Spirit. But it looks like a palm tree because that is what she is. She still looks the same. So she is troubled, but she's not crushed. And you look at that and you say, I could never do that. That's only because you don't know that God will stand up in you the same way he does in her if you have to go through that. So we are, sorry, I missed that previous cue. So we are sometimes in doubt. Okay, so pause with that one again. So we will have doubts and it is okay to have doubts. If you are hiding your doubts from the people around you, you are still holding it together, and I want to recommend that you don't. I recommend that you let your outside break. So that even in your doubt, the fact that you are not in despair will become visible to those wanting if Jesus makes any difference. Yes, he does, because even in doubt, we're not desperate, because we know he knows. And I can go on and unpack every one of those pairs in that way. But every one of these says, speaks of a way where your flesh will break, your soul will break, and the spirit will leak out. So that his life may be seen in our bodies. So people will meet us and they will see 
Jesus. Throughout our lives, we're always in danger of death for Jesus' sake. In order that his life may be seen in this mortal body of ours, this means that death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. Now, how I understand this scripture is that none of us will ever be life-giving to anybody else until we have died to ourselves. He says, death is at work in us so that life can be at work in you. So only disciples of Jesus, ministers of Jesus, who have had something happen to their boxwood self, their rosebush self, their pine tree self, that is their preference, that is how they like things, that is how they are trying to keep things together. Only they who have broken in that way will be able to show Jesus to the world the way he wants to be seen. Now, the Bible figures who teach us how this happens are first of all Peter. Anybody wants to guess what, which one of the four trees he would be? He speaks as much as the other 12 disciples together, the other 11 together. The impulsive, Jesus, call me out on the water and also diving into the sea and swimming to shore and things like that. We see him always kind of jumping the gun. He's definitely not the boxwood, right? We can eliminate boxwood because he doesn't plan. He definitely doesn't fit the mold. When Jesus says, I'm going to be killed tonight, he says, over my dead body. And, and if they take you, I'm coming with you. And then it's not long and he runs the other way. So quick to say yes and then not show up. Palm trees. This can happen to a palm. He is a palm tree. On the positive side, able to create enthusiasm with people. So sincere, heart on his sleeve. We see all of those characteristics. But when, then we think about his story. We see a deep, deep, deep humiliation, falling from flavor of the month to persona non grata. Because remember, whenever Jesus went off to pray, not taking all the disciples with him, he took Peter, James, and John. So Peter knew he was at least in the top three. He was pretty important. And it was important to him, and we read between the lines that it was. He liked being spoken to and speaking for Jesus and being where the action was. He liked that. And now he was the one who laid Jesus down and the shame and the disappointment in himself was huge. We know that he cried bitterly. The word of God says he cried bit bitterly. And it's so beautiful how Jesus comes back to him and asks him this question, do you love me? Three times. Because he was, he was still looking for Peter's heart and connecting with that heart. And then he gives him a calling that is such a palm tree calling. He says, feed my sheep. He says, work with my people and give them things. Be generous on my behalf. Love them for my sake. Love them on my behalf. Such a fitting calling. He gets to preach thousands of people into the kingdom in one speech. Real thrilling palm tree moment. He also sees that vision of the unclean animals and he has the opportunity and the permission and the calling that day to go and share the gospel with the Gentiles for the very, very first time. Palm trees love firsts, new things, stuff we've never done before. So we see God really working with both the things, well, with all three of these things, the things he loves, working through his weaknesses and working through his strengths. All of that happens 
to Peter. Then there is Moses, who is our archetypical, do you want to guess? Think about his issue with the injustice of his people being oppressed. Him trying to take matters in his own hands there because it just isn't right. And then, of course, when he does that, he disqualifies himself immediately from being able to help his people. He puts himself in the desert. And there he is for 40 years. And then there's the, and then God doesn't surprise him because foxes don't like surprises. It says that he saw from the corner of his eye the burning bush and then he turned aside and then God spoke. So, I mean, if you put a burning bush right in front of a boxwood, they will spook and run. But it was a, it was a pst, look over here, very careful, getting his attention. And then there at the, at the burning bush, God gives Moses the whole story up front, the whole way it's going to go down. This is what you're going to do. You're going to go to Pharaoh. You're going to tell him to let my people go. He's going to say, yes, no, yes, no, yes, no, 10 times. And all of these things are going to happen. And I'm going to take his oldest son. He gets the whole story up front. Because like I said, he doesn't like surprises. And he needs that security. And then he still needs evidence. Evidence. I can't speak well. God gives him Aaron. He says, they will never believe me. God gives him the sign of the blood and the water, the staff and the snake. And God gets a little frustrated with him in that conversation, if you remember that story. But God gives him his physical signs and his palm tree support, and there he goes. So maybe I've already said it, otherwise you've guessed it, this is the boxwood. And he could take 10 rules that God gave him and write a whole curriculum of do's and don'ts. Boxwoods are really great at filling in details so that people can really know how to live. I was not supposed to go there yet. What had to break in Moses? Can you remember? There was a time when he was running the whole show, judging for everybody, hearing every case, making every decision for the whole nation. And I mean, there were around about a million people. He was trying to do everything for a million people. Too much control over the details, absolute burnout. He had to surrender. He had to trust other people. He had to give it up. He also had a really hard time with what the people thought of him. He had serious fear of man. And it was because of the fear of man that he smacked that rock because he wanted them to see that he is a a powerful leader because he could just never get their loyalty and their love and their, I guess, adoration or something. And it cost him entry into the promised land right there, the fear of man, caring too much about what the people think. He had to give that up. And maybe you think of other things. There are many. That's just one example. What happens to Paul the rosebush? Well, Paul is called Saul, which is, I mean, the name of the first king of Israel. That's a pretty prestigious name. He has all of this education. He has a mission. He is going to take care of all these people of the way, all these people who believe in Jesus who are muddying the waters. 
and he has permission to drag them all, men and women, off to prison. So he's a fierce dude. Can you hear the thorns on the rosebush? They're definitely there. So sure of himself, Louis calls it, because I have some rose, he calls it never, uh, often wrong, but never in doubt. So this is Paul, completely wrong, but 100% confident. And then he doesn't have God gently turning him aside, getting his attention the way God did with Moses. Not at all. I think this is like a face plant. I feel this is a, a very aggressive confrontation. God hits him with blindness, a bright light, and basically paraphrase the words, what are you doing? Do you know who I am? And then God changes his name from Paul, from Saul to Paul. Paul means little one. It's a little bit like when your rosebush kid throws a tantrum and they tell you, you're not my mommy. And you say, oh, you think you're the boss? You're not the boss. That's what happened there. God basically told Paul, you're not the boss. I'm going to give you this name so you can know that you're little and so you can remember that because otherwise I can do nothing with you. But then look at what God does with him. Takes the gospel to the entire known world. It was amazing what God did through him. But God also constricted him. He, he did his best work in prison, writing all those letters we still re read. Confined him and left a thorn in his flesh and all of that. Those are the rose bushes among us. Maybe God has done something like that to you. Maybe he imprisons you from time to time. Maybe he, uh, he confronts you from time to time. Maybe he reminds you that you're not in control of the world from time to time. It's very possible when we are roses that he does that repeatedly throughout our lives. The last one, the pine tree, obviously, this is no, no surprise now. If you can count, we are at the last one. This is pine tree Abraham. Whenever God visits Abraham, where is he? sitting in front of his tent. I met a woman who, who is my personality. We don't have any pine. And I asked her, what is your main goal in life? She says, I want to get so good at sitting that people look at me and they say, man, can that woman sit? And I thought to myself, yeah, that, that'd be hard for me too, to learn how to sit. Abraham knew how to sit. He's sitting in front of his tent. And then God or angels or both would visit and he would go cook for them. And this is not running to Kroger and putting it in the Instapot. This is a three-hour process. Patient, eating together, building relationship. And he's hailed as a friend of God. God told him his secrets and the plans he had. Just this close, safe person. He's also extremely patient but something went wrong here. He avoided conflict to the extent that he slept with Hagar, Hagar and had Ishmael, and we have the Middle East. That problem never got solved because he couldn't have conflict with Sarah who was just done waiting and done trusting and said, let's just do this ourselves. 
That should not have happened. But that was to keep the peace. But we see that incredible loyalty to God that he was willing to sacrifice even Isaac, that he had waited for so long. And we see this characteristic in Pines that when they believe in something bigger than themselves and when they see integrity and character in a leader, they will do everything for that cause and for that leader. And Abraham was like that with God. Something that also had to break in Abraham is that he had to leave all of his familiar spaces behind. Leave his father's house. Go to a land that he didn't know where it was. If you're a pine tree, you don't like that. You're sitting in the same, same seat in the church every weekend you come. And when somebody's in your seat, it's uncomfortable for you. You don't like the change. You don't like the transplant. But God transplanted him before he became useful. So what does this look like for us? Um, if we are these trees or a combination of them, how do we journey to purpose in Christ? What does this brokenness then mean? Second Timothy 2.20 says, Now in a large house there are not only gold and silver implements, but also implements of wood and of earthenware. And some are for honor, while others are for dishonor. Now, I never like this scripture very much because I immediately go to, am I a vessel for honor or for dishonor? But that's not the point of the scripture. The second verse, verse 21 says, therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from these things, and before these verses, the context is immature, ungodly behavior, he will be an implement for honor. So each one of us, no matter what we are made of, can be an implement for honor, sanctified, useful to the master, prepared for every good work. So if we will cooperate with God in this journey where he sometimes allows really painful things to happen to us in order for our flesh to break and for us to get over ourselves and beyond ourselves and be able to work and live with others, then we will become vessels of honor. It says, so flee from youthful lusts. And don't think just sexual desire when you hear lusts. Lust, lust means I want it my way and I want it now. And it can be anything. Lust is just our natural impulses of wanting our own way. So it says flee from that, grow up, become mature. Pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Now that, that little phrase there tucked in almost invisibly at the end of that verse is the whole secret of maturing no matter what tree type we are. Because if we do life with other Christians in church, we will get tortured to death. We will. There's a reason why people say, oh, I don't like church. I don't believe in the institution. I can read my Bible at my house. There are many reasons for that. And at least the first 99 of them is, I don't like those people. Like People are different from me, and they have different opinions, and they do things differently from me. It's often personality clashes that are uncomfortable. So in my little corner, 
I can collect all the people who work like me, talk like me, who write emails the way I want them written, who do conflict my way. Wow, that's boring and definitely not conducive to growth. We are supposed to rub each other the wrong way so that whatever on me and on you doesn't look like Jesus can rub off against somebody else. So this is our calling, to do this in peace, faith, and love with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Is it hard? Wow, it's incredibly hard. It's incredibly hard. But that is what maturity is. So when we look at all this, we say, we respect your design. We welcome your design. Your gifts are going to be useful. But my gifts are also not going to be worth anything unless I bring them from a very humble place where I'm willing to adapt and where I take into account who else is in the body with me. I once heard a preacher say, a woman teacher whose name I will remember hopefully in a second. She said, the nose and the armpit are together in the body. And they have to tolerate each other, but they can't be too close to each other for a very long time. And, it's a, and there's also wisdom in when we understand personality types to know who can I work with really, really closely and who should be like one person removed. We practice it in our house as well. If our children need support or correction or discipline, we decide who the best parent is in that particular situation with that child in that developmental phase to do this based on personality because sometimes it's just better received from another person. So we use the wisdom as well. So once we learn the sensitivity, we can all journey together. Now, if you are a palm tree, I'm just going to highlight three things that I saw God deal with in palm trees in the Bible. There are many more than just, um, than just Peter. If you're a palm tree, the Lord is probably going to deal with indulgence, your need to be popular, and your pursuit of health, wealth, and happiness over maturity. So when that happens, do not be too quick to say it's Satan. Don't be too quick when something happens to your wealth, your health, or your happiness to blame the enemy. Um, or when somebody misunderstands you, or where a friend doesn't give a good reason but wants nothing to do with you anymore. Or when you discover you have high cholesterol and it's the end of whatever your favorite snack was. Don't always just assume um, it is Satan. God works with each one of us in that area of our flesh that needs most care. These are random examples. As I said, there are many more. For the rose bush, God will wrestle control from our sticky little fingers. He will. And he will teach us to surrender in many ways. Sometimes the only thing that makes a rose bush stop trying to run the world is illness. And I'm not saying God's doing it, I'm just saying. And you'll hear rose bushes say that. Well, I wasn't listening to my body, I wouldn't stop, and now I broke my leg and now I'm one foot in the air. That opportunity will be used by God for sanctification. 
Also, God may not allow you to accomplish what you want to accomplish in order to build your pride so that you, like Paul, the other rose bush, can say, I count everything as rubbish compared to knowing Christ. He may do that with your accomplishments too, the way he did with Paul's. And he may interfere a little bit with your independence. Because the biblical model is interdependence. I need you. You need me. We can't do it by ourselves. So when we're trying to be lone rangers, he's probably not going to help us get that done. Pine trees who love harmony and peace and for things to stay the same often face the most disruption as they are maturing in God. Anchors lifted, rugs pulled from under their feet, figuratively speaking, until the anchor is not in that one promise you waited for all your life, not in that one person who is the center of your world, and not in that comfort that makes you feel that life is okay, and not in that savings plan that was your security. So whatever pine trees try to keep life predictable and certain, that may not be always available um, to us. And in boxwoods, we are challenged to let go of our nitty-gritty stuff, our perfectionism, our legalism, and especially our love for justice over grace. We, like the old covenant, like the eye for an eye principle more than we like somebody, somebody's guilt being written off. It just doesn't sit very well with us when we're thoroughbred boxwoods. And God will create situations for us where we can't get justice so that we can discover the joy of forgiveness and grace. And I don't know if you've noticed boxwoods, but literally nothing ever is perfect. <laughs> we just can't get it right. We just can't get it there. And it's not just because the world is broken, but it is also because God will not allow us to find that fleshly satisfaction in being able to produce something that is perfect in this world um, so that we can keep our eye on him instead. I pray that the Holy Spirit will bring whatever you need to remember to mind when you go through a hard time. And then maybe instead of becoming bitter or hardened, you can say, Lord, thank you for dealing with my flesh through this person, through this unfair situation, through this accident, through this hardship. I want my flesh to break because I want to shine with Jesus and not with my amazing personality, but with the nature of Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you for every unique person in this room and the way you've woven personality traits into them. I pray, Lord, as they seek you more and more and as we all mature in you more and more, I pray, Lord, that we will bring the best we have that you have equipped us with to every task and every relationship and the worst of it to the cross for redemption. And thank you that you are standing by to do that for us, no matter who we are. Amen. We hope that you enjoyed this podcast and that it blessed you in some way. Don't forget to visit our website at cctri.org and make sure that you send us your prayer requests at office at cctri.org. 
We pray that the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him. 